Good morning and welcome to the City Church. My name is Austin. Um, you know, you may be wondering where is John today? Because uh, obviously I'm, I'm uh, much better looking. Um, <laughs> just kidding, John, if you're watching. <laughs> just kidding, buddy. Um, no, but John, uh, unfortunately, um, is not feeling well. He did test positive for COVID. Um, at this point, we don't believe that he was in the church building or, you know, in contact with us during his infectious period. Um, but we did want to let you know because we obviously want to be praying for him and his family. Um, the transmission was through school. Um, so uh, we'll be praying for him later on in our time together uh, when Jim does the leadership prayer. But we wanted to let all of you know that um, that's the deal. Um, <coughs> so we will be praying together as a group. But before we uh, start together, I'd like to pray for our time and our worship together. So um, if you don't mind joining me in prayer. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to be able to gather and worship you as a group. Um, God, this has been a very difficult period in global history. Um, and we need the message of the cross more than ever. Um, so we thank you for sending Jesus for us. Uh, we thank you for the work that was accomplished by the cross, and we thank you for uh, working to bring your plan to completion in us and through us. Um, so be with us today as we uh, seek to worship you and to um, lift you up and to focus on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're invited to stand with us and sing. Um, and also I wanted to say hi quickly to those of you watching at home, um, including Ellie and Rory, my daughters, and my nephew, Connor. He is two years old and has his little plastic guitar strapped on, ready to play with us. So, <laughs> so um, let's sing together. Let your mercy reign. Your mercy. 
So before we get singing again, you can take a seat and we'll invite Matt up to share. Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter Sunday. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, so first and foremost, I have a few announcements. We're going to try to do this really quickly because we got a lot of things going on. But uh, we do ask everybody to remember to wear your masks when you're in the building today. Please, thank you very much. Um, and today's Easter Sunday. It's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Uh, you know, I wish, I wish I could honestly say that, like, Easter is always filled with joy all day, every day. Uh, that's unfortunately not the case, as we've seen. You know, this year has been a big reminder that this world is still, experiences a lot of brokenness, um, a lot of frailty. Uh, and, you know, just this morning, like, Easter morning was stressful for my wife and me, and anybody who has little kids probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so driving here this morning, I just, I wasn't, like, you know, I wasn't as joyful as I wish I was, you know? You know what I mean? Um, 
and maybe, you know, when I think about it, maybe that's actually what the, the disciples actually felt on the real first Easter morning. They were mourning the loss of their friend, their master, their leader. He had just died, and they went to the tomb sorrowful and in tears. And then it, they, they, even when the body was gone, the body of Jesus was gone, and John tells us that they just went back to their homes, right? And Jesus had already risen from the grave, and they were still feeling that sorrow. And so we live in this, as Christians, we live in this world that is, is still broken, and yet the kingdom of God is breaking in. And we live in this, this in-between time when Jesus has not yet fully returned, and yet his presence is still with us through his Holy Spirit. And so that's why we gather today. That's why we are here today, because we can celebrate still even in these times. And so on Easter, we say he is risen, and we're going to do this call and response thing. I'm going to say he is risen, and you're all going to say he is risen indeed. So ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Yes. Okay, we have a few short announcements today. We were scheduling to do baby dedications today. This is when parents would dedicate themselves to uh, raise their children in the ways of the Lord. We're going to postpone that because a lot of the families were not able to come in. They're still not feeling uh, ready to come into church. Or some people were just going to be with family today, so they weren't going to be around. So we're going to schedule a time later on in the, in the year when it gets warmer where we can do that, gather outside and gather together, and, and families can dedicate their babies. We're not going to do that today. Um, however, we do have one, one um, additional announcement. Last week we announced a partnership, uh, an event that, we, um, that we're going to support with one of our partners, our ministry partners, Route One Ministry. So uh, back in October, we held a, a um, Human Trafficking 101 event. They actually held it. We hosted it for them. Uh, that 102 event, which is the continuation of that, which gives a lot more information, a lot more stories of human trafficking, is going to be happening April 8th. It's going to be happening on Zoom. If you want to be a part of that, if you want to participate and, and hear those, those words that are happening, we actually do need you to sign up. So uh, we're going to have a sign-up sheet in the back. Um, Zach is going to have it. Where's Zach? Zach, raise your hand. Yes. So if you want to be a part of that, remember, you have to register. So we need your email address for that. That's April 8th on Zoom. So speaking of Zach, we have a special announcement regarding Zach specifically. Uh, Zach has been with us for a few years now. Um, he's been helping us uh, in tremendous ways with our outreach and partnering with a lot of these ministries. The Christina's House ministries that we've been doing lately um, have all been, you know, a lot of partnership with Zach. Uh, Route One, Zach has been helping to foster those kinds of relationships. And Zach has an announcement uh, for everybody today. So, Zach, come on up here. Well, kind of like sad news, but I will be leaving, uh, moving out of Springfield uh, this Saturday. So just wanted to announce um, that that transition's happening. It's been a long kind of process uh, in the works because uh, I'm not sure if you saw the red van outside in front of our church, but that's what I'll be moving into, and I'll be working out of that uh, for Mass Mutual. I've been able to work remotely the past year, so able to make this transition and continue working that way. But um, it's been a really long process of praying through this and talking through um, different elders in my life, like Matt, and uh, in a part of Between Bridges is a homeless ministry downtown, so it's been a long process praying through this and trying to see if the Lord really has this for me, um, but just wanted to update the church with that. It's going to be a continuation of ministry for me because a lot of things I've experienced here, um, especially in the homeless ministry, 
um, in this church are going to continue with me on the road as I'm in different cities. I want to continue homeless ministry um, wherever I go. My friend will be joining me and looking to kind of disciple him on the way. But I just wanted to just thank everyone who's a part of this church and who's um, been a really vital part of my life and my um, my growth as a Christian. I've been challenged uh, the past two years um, moving here out of college and being a part of this church and going through this transition with the virus, um, trying to adapt in the homeless ministry. There's been a lot of things that are really challenging, but I've really seen God move, and I've seen him move in this church. Um, we've been through a lot this past year, and everyone knows that, but we're seeing God work through it. Um, I mean, firsthand, we had a donation um, uh, drive for Between Bridges where people were donating different uh, clothing items and boots, and I saw those items firsthand go to people and be used by God for people who had needs. And um, there's just so many testimonies, and I want to encourage you guys to continue to uh, be faithful with the mission that God has called this church to here at downtown Springfield. There's a lot of need. There's a lot of brokenness. And um, the, the love of Jesus is what uh, is what the answer is for all of that. So I encourage you to, to keep holding fast, to keep committed to this church, and um, keep answering to that mission that God has called for it appreciate you guys keep me in your prayers and i look forward to coming back i'll be back in september um, be sure to visit and um yeah just thank you for all of your faithfulness and yeah give it up you know zach came to me uh like a few months ago several months ago now and uh when he was telling me about what he wanted to do and he was he was kidding out this van to travel the country and he was like super excited with it but I could tell he was also a little bit nervous to tell me at the same time and uh and he was kind of asking my advice but not like directly asking my advice um and and as soon as he was done telling me about it I was just like yeah absolutely man go for it this sounds like a great opportunity right to tr travel the, the country he's young he's he's got the time to do it now and what's most important, and this is the reason why we wanted to bring him up here today, is because in that conversation, I could see that his heart, in his heart, he knew that this was an opportunity for him to continue ministry. It wasn't just something that he wanted to do selfishly and just take time out of, you know, out of life and go around the country seeing the sights and everything. Like he said, like he wants to continue in ministry as he goes around. He wants to continue ministering to the friend that he's going to be traveling with. His heart, I love your heart, Zach. I love it. And, and I'm super jealous of your hair, too. But I love your heart. <laughs> Me too. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, and so, we want to pray over Zach right now, and and we want to pray that the Lord would continue to minister in him, that he would continue to minister to others while he's going out and while he, he goes through the rest of his life, because who knows where where God will take him after this. So normally we would lay hands on Zach, but in COVID time, what I'm going to ask you to do, if if you're willing, just extend a hand out toward him, and we'll pray over him as he goes out. Father, I thank you for Zach's heart. I thank you, Lord, that you are the God who ministers inside of people to do these things, to realize that everything we have is a gift from you, and that everything we, we can do can be done for your glory. And so, Lord, I ask that you would continue to draw Zach in to you. Lord, that you would continue all, all throughout his journey uh, to remind him of your grace, of your love towards him, remind him that he is your child, and remind him, Lord, that Jesus, as he says to his disciples, just as he was sent from the Father, so he now sends us out. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, 
that you would send Zach and that you would use him to bring your gospel forward, to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and that that van would be a great memory and a testimony to all uh, the people that see it, that that big red van would be something that you use for your glory and for his, that you, he would use his time and his words also. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So, let's continue to worship Jesus.
God, thank you again for today, for being able to come together and declare those words, to be able to say that the Lamb has overcome, overcome sickness, overcome anger, overcome every problem in the world, overcome sin, and overcome the plan of someone who is actively rooting against us, actively rooting to take humans away from you. God, the Lamb has overcome all of that. Let us rest in that today. Let us rest in your victory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. How's everybody doing today? Good. I got my COVID shot, first one, on Thursday. Ow. A little sore, you know. Um, it's my privilege today to lead us in prayer. So if uh, you would so graciously join me, that would be great. I'm, I'm going to be on my knees, but um, you don't, if you can't do that, that's fine. So uh, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for, first of all, who you are and the, the power of your resurrection. May it uh, live in our hearts. Uh, may we uh, live it every day, not just one day a year. May we celebrate it with what we say, what we do, and how we live. And Father, thank you for how the resurrection proves all the things that you claim that of who you are and all the things that your son has done for us and all the things that indicate and validate who he is as the Messiah. So here we are today to celebrate that. We're celebrating his life that he lived so that we might have life as well, that his life might live in us. We're here to celebrate his death and that we died with him as well 2,000 years ago. And then we're here to celebrate the resurrection life, that he rose from the dead, that we might walk in newness of life. So, Father, we acknowledge all of that this morning. And we also acknowledge our inabilities, our inabilities to follow you, our weaknesses, our failures and just physically Lord we're, many of us are sick many of us are, are struggling with um, physical sickness with, with spiritual sickness with emotional depression and Father I just want to pray for all of them today that uh, I, I lift them up to you I lift these cares these issues these, these sicknesses you. And Lord, I pray especially for John. Lord, he's our brother. We ask uh, for mercy. We ask that he would recover quickly and the after effects would not be severe and that he would be healed from this, uh, this virus. And we pray protection over those around him, his family, his children, his wife, Jen. We pray that, that you would protect them from catching this kind of thing. 
And Lord, we pray for all of us that uh, we would be careful on, on who we come, come in contact with, to keep our distances and, and wear a mask and, and stay six feet away. And Lord, we ask that we would be responsible as we can and we would lay our, our, our fate, our, our lives into, into your hands. So Lord, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness that this resurrection brings to us. And we, uh, we also claim it as a healing power in our, in our lives. And Lord, we're here today, not just to say those words, but also to worship you with our lives for all that you have done for us. So we lift your name up and we lift our hearts up and we ask that our love for you and your love for us would be displayed, would be praised, would be confessed in what we sing, in what we say, and how we live. So we ask all of this in Christ's name. Well, we're in a, uh, a final in a four-part series leading up to this day, Resurrection Day, and we're looking at what I call heartwood. <laughs> it's the meaning of the cross, the wood, but it also has to do with our hearts. And what we looked at are four aspects of the cross from different angles. We looked at the, what the cross meant to the Father, what the cross meant to the Son, what the cross meant to Satan, and today we're going to look at what the cross means for our own spiritual lives. And next week, we're going to look at a new series. Uh, it's called Following. It's what it means to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's a whole series around that. So I invite you, it's a little advertisement, <laughs> I invite you to tune in and to come in uh, for that series as well. You ever done something? that you knew was wrong, but you did it anyway? <laughs> you know, you get mad at your wife, you get mad at your husband, and you knew before you got mad that this isn't going to be right, but you did it anyhow. Or you get mad at your kids, you know, you blow your stack at your kids, and you knew it was wrong, and, but there it goes. And maybe you thought, that, well, if I do a wrong thing, it's okay, because God's going to forgive me, right? Sometimes we can say things like that to ourselves. You know, we can get angry because we know that God's going to forgive us. Uh, it doesn't matter if I tell the truth, because I know that forgiveness is there later. Um, I can get bitter. I can be hostile. I can get upset, because I know that God still loves me. That type of thinking is often used as an objection against eternal security. Maybe you've heard it. It goes something like this. You mean to tell me that if you believe in Christ, you can never lose your salvation? Well, then why don't you go out and do whatever you want? <laughs> you ever heard of that? Um, needless to say, that kind of statement uh, doesn't disprove eternal security. And it's Romans 8. And many other passage, passages certainly 
uh, prove that we are saved when we believe in Jesus Christ and we're saved eternally. But it does show the deceitfulness of the human heart, doesn't it? Um, we might call it license, taking advantage of things, or more importantly, a, a misunderstanding of what the grace of God is all about. You know, we misunderstand, really fundamentally, what the meaning of the cross and the resurrection means to us when we act that way. This is precisely what Paul addresses in Romans chapter 6. For here we find the true meaning of the cross and the resurrection for our lives. It's a hope also in the victory over sin, which we, which we do over and over and over again. So turn with me, if you have a Bible, uh, to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law. You are not under law, but under grace.
feel like I could stop the sermon right there. Just read the passage. <laughs> well, there are seven things in this passage, okay? Seven things that speak of the significance of the death and the resurrection of Christ for our own lives. But it's a complicated passage. So let me summarize the entire thing in one sentence, and then we'll move through the passage. In one sentence, you could say that it is this. Christ has freed us from the dominion of sin and enables us to walk in newness of life. Amazing. Let me read that again. Christ has set has freed us from the dominion of sin and enables us to walk in newness of life. I can imagine maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, that's really good, but how does that really, <laughs> how, does that, how does that work in my own life? And that's what he goes on to talk about in the rest of these verses. The first thing he says is that we are dead to sin. It's summarized in verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? But look at the question, the first verse. Shall we say then, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It goes back to my initial statement about what we do at times. You know, We take advantage, we misunderstand the function of grace. It actually comes from chapter 5 and verse 20, if you go up just a few verses. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. <laughs> so it sounds like, gee, if that's the case, then let's keep sinning. Let's increase the trespass so that I can get more grace. Let's take advantage of it. You know, there's always forgiveness. But that fundamentally dis, uh, misunderstands the nature of grace. And notice what he says. By no means. Are we to continue in sin? By no means. Doesn't mean that it's impossible to continue in sin. Many believers do continue in sin. What he's saying there, it's unthinkable that we should. So that's the question, and now he, he, he answers that question by saying that what the cross did, what, the, what, the, what it accomplished for us, and what it did in this verse 2 is we died to sin. Now, Notice how that's worded. It's not like sin has died to us. <laughs> I'm sure you all know that. It's still out there. It's still in here, and we still fight with it, right? But we died to it. Now he explains what he means by that, by talking about it in more detail in verse two, verse 3. Do you not know, he says. By the way, the word know is very important in this passage. It's used two other times. We'll talk about it, but I'm going to skip it for now. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus was baptized into his death? So baptism was the means by which we were baptized into his death. Now, he's not talking about water baptism. 
with water baptism doesn't accomplish the truth of what this passage is all about. If it did, then we're back to, to works to earn our position. That's all he's saying. He's speaking of when you placed your trust into Jesus Christ, you were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15. So the Spirit baptism accomplished us being uh, associated with his death. Then in verse 4, he says, we were buried, therefore, he goes further with this, with him by baptism into his death. So we were dead to sin, and this baptism by the Spirit uh, is a picture and an accomplishment of the Spirit of God in our lives. And of course, water baptism is a perfect picture of, right, of being dead, dying underneath the water, and coming up into newness of life. So now we are raised with him and to, to be united with him. And this is what verse 4 goes on to talk about. So verse 4, the first part says, We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death. In order that, here's the purpose clause, the purpose, just as Christ was raised from the, bed, from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, emphatic statement, very emphatic, we too might walk in newness of life. But we are united with him um, in newness of life, that we should walk in that. The idea, uh, it refers to the character and the quality of life that we have because we have been raised with him. I'm in you. We both are in Christ. Christ died. He rose from the dead. I'm alive to God in a newness of life because we have been united with him in his death and resurrection. Let me see if I can illustrate this. R.G. Lee was a pastor many, many years ago. And what he did is he went to the Holy Land and he went to the uh, place of the skull at Golgotha. It's called Gordon's uh, Crucifixion. It's a site that they think where Jesus was crucified. We don't know that for sure. Um, but as he was there, he wanted to go to the top of the ridge where the crucifixion took place. And the guide told him, that, no, no, we don't, we don't let people up there. You know. And he insisted. And he kept insisting and insisting until finally the, the, guard, the guide kind of gave in. You know, and he brought him up to the top of ridge, exactly where it is believed that Jesus had died. And he took his hat off, and he bowed his head. The guide said, looked at him and said, it seems like you've been here before. And he looked and he said, I was 2,000 years ago. That's true. How many people died in that site? Three? Uh -uh. We all did. 2,000 years ago, you and I were on that cross with Christ, and we died with him. And dying with him means that we have died to sin, and we were buried with him. 
and we rose again in newness of life with him. Now, in verse 6, we come to one of the most important verses in the chapter. Verse 6, notice again, we know. That's an important verb, uh, word, uh, and we will look at that in a second. We know that the old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that, another purpose, that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. This is something that we need to know. It's like I said, one of the, the first of three important words, verbal ideas in this entire passage. It's used, the word no is used in verse 3, which we just looked at in this verse here, and in verse 9. You see, Paul is not anti-knowledge. Sometimes I hear this from Christians, you know, well, I just don't want to know stuff. I, you know, I just want to live it out. Well, you can't live out what you don't understand. And you can't live out what you don't know. And so you have to know and understand what is going on in this passage for you to live an effective and, and faithful Christian life. What's it say? What are we supposed to know? It says it, that our old self was crucified with him. It's used only two other times, the word for the old self, the old man, some uh, uh, translation, translations have it. It's used in Ephesians 4, verse 22, and in Colossians 3, verse 9. It refers to who we were before we believed in Jesus Christ. It's who we were in Adam as unbelievers. Um, it is not our sin nature. It is not our flesh. If it was, we wouldn't be struggling with it. <laughs> As Romans 7 talks about in the next chapter. No, the old man is the person you were that you used to be before you trusted Christ. You see, before we trusted Christ, we, we really didn't have a choice about how we could do things. We, we ended up falling quite often. We fail still now today quite often, I'm sure. And, but then we had no choice in it, in the sense in which, yeah, we could do good things, but eventually we stumbled and we fell and we were condemned because of it. And that's what the first three chapters of the book of Romans is all about. So we violated the heart of God and we ran over his commands. Now, in Ephesians 2.15, it says the new man, the new man, it's actually referred to as the church in Ephesians 2, is something new. It's a new organism. It isn't nature. It's the complex attributes or inclinations or depositions of what, what, what we are. Uh, it's, it's, we still have the nature of our, of our sin. But we have a new, we are a new creation in him. Think of it like an operating system. Now, I don't know how many of you are technically minded, but an operating system in a computer is something that gives life to the applications. It allows the applications to run. 
sits on what they call a platform. And the platform is an operating system. And we have various applications on it. You know, we have the flesh, <laughs> and we have a lot of other things that we can click on and operate from. But this verse is saying to us, the old operating system has been crucified with him. Um, it has been so that we might no longer, uh, in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing, it's, it's made inoperative. That's the, the purpose of it. We've been crucified, but what does that mean? What's the purpose of being crucified? And he tells us in, in this next, next, in the second part of the verse here, the body of sin, the, the amassment of what we have done before we trusted Christ, was brought to nothing. A better translation would be inoperative, uh, detached, divorced. The same word is used in Romans 7 to speak of being freed from a marriage. You were divorced from that old self. So the old operating system has been made inoperative. And we're given a new one. But it's been sort of done away with, and he gives us the second purpose clause here, resulting in, right, right in verse, um, uh, so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. That's, that's the result of it, of a new operating system, of a new self, is that we are not serving sin. We do not have to serve sin. We are freed since the old self, the old operating system, has been replaced with a new one. Yes, we still have the flesh. It, we could still run the old application on the new system if we click on it. <laughs> and, but we have the right and we have the privilege, the power not to click on it. That's what he's saying. Now he explains it a little bit further in verse 7. He says, One who has died has set us free from sin. Repeating the, the, um, the, the point is that because you are a new creature, because your old self has been done away with, has been crucified, has been inoperable, detached, divorced, you are free from sin. Let's suppose, um, suppose you were a slave and you had a slave master who consistently told you what to do. Now, as a slave, you would be obligated to do what he's asking you to do. But suppose that slave dies. Now, the slave master still might bark the orders, might tell you what you need to be doing. But if you were dead, of course, if you could speak it, if you're dead, you'd basically say to him, um, I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to do that. You know why? Because I'm dead. I'm dead to what you're telling me. I'm dead. I'm not connected to you anymore. That's what it means to be separated, to be divorced from the old self. Washman Nee puts it this way. God's way of deliverance is altogether different than man's way. 
Man's way is to try to suppress sin by seeking to overcome it. God's way is to remove the sinner. God means to deliver us from sin, not by making us stronger and stronger, but by making us weaker and weaker. That is surely a rather peculiar way of victory, you say, but that is the divine way. God sets us free from the dominion of sin, not to strengthen our old self, but to crucify him, not by helping him do anything, but by removing him from the scene of action altogether. See, before the fall, Adam was able to sin, and he certainly did, didn't he? Now, after the fall, he was not able not to sin. He took on a, a sin, took on sin, and then what he did, he Sure, he did good things, but he always fell. He always failed. He always fell short of the glory of God. And that's true of the human race. Now, the second Adam, because we put our faith in him, we are back with the first Adam. We're un, we're, we have the ability not to sin. And someday in heaven, we will be able not to sin. But the presence of sin is with us here on this earth. But one day, it will be gone. What Paul is saying to you and to me today is that we are dead to sin and alive to God. And we don't have to sin anymore. You were put into Christ, into his death, into his resurrection. And Christ is in you such that you are free from the power of of sin in your life. Now, we are to know this. We are to understand what this is in our heads. We are to know that we are, we are free. We are to know, in verse 2, that he died for us and thus we died to sin. We are to know that we are alive with him because of the resurrection, we were raised with him. And we need to know that we can live in newness of life, a resurrection life in verse 5. This is the heart of our identity as followers of Christ. These are the facts. And they were true of you, whether you believe it or not. Now, it's, they're more true of you, these things I just talked about, than what you tell yourself. When you fail, and what others tell you, they are more true of you than what you think of yourself, than what others might think of you. You see, people live consistently with how they view themselves. That's a universal principle. And how we view ourselves is extremely important in regard to walking with God. Now, if you see yourself this morning as a loser, as a failure, as a nobody, and perhaps somebody told you that as a kid, you know, you're a loser, you're a nobody. But when you have faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you are a child 
of God. And what he says about you is more important than what others say about you. It's like a duck that's imprinted with a dog. Don't you ever see that? <laughs> that duck follows that dog all over because he thinks it's his mother. But we have the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ is our life. And that we walk in the newness of life. And we need to consider that and reckon it to be true. Now, um, in verses 9 to 10, we're going to see what Christ did. And then we're going to see how we can appropriate this truth. 9 says, we know, there it is again, that Christ has raised from the dead and will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died to sin, he died once for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. Notice um, the, verb, the, the verb changes. Notice the past tense. He died, he died, the death he died, he died to sin, past tense. And the life he lives, present tense, he lives to God. So the past has been done away with. And now he lives a life and he imparts that life to us in, in an everyday aspect, an everyday uh, way. So that's what he did. Now, how are we supposed to appropriate this into our lives? Um, now, in verse 11, he draws some conclusions to the whole chapter so far. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now we encounter the second most important verbal idea in this passage, to consider. Or some of your translations have reckon. It's an older kind of word, obsolete kind of word. So we are to know that we have died with Christ and we are set free from sin and we no longer have to obey it. And now we have to believe it. We have to reckon it to be true. Ruth Paxton puts it this way, sin need have no more power over the believer than he grants it through unbelief. If he is alive to sin, it will be due largely to the fact that he has failed to reckon himself dead unto sin. See, the word consider is an interesting word. It's, it's an accounting term. Um, it's where you take a number of figures and you add them all up and you to circle that total and it's considered. And so what he's saying here, he's want, he wants you to take everything that's been said so far from verse 1 to 11, add it all up and write a check on it to consider it true. Because we have been justified and declared righteous by God and all of his righteousness is available to us in an account it has been credited, it's been imputed to us. We need to write a check on it. We are to consider, we are to believe, we are to reckon it to be true of us. I don't know about you, but that's hard to do. It's difficult. I have personally found that sometimes you have to come to the end of your rope. 
you have to sort of get to the end of yourself and your resources, your abilities, your dependence, in order to realize your co-crucifixion with Christ. And it's a lifelong process. But we have to really know and understand what that is and to believe it. See, victory here that he's talking about is preceded by an awareness of our identity. And this is the only way it can happen. Our identification, who we are with Christ in his death, in his resurrection, and when set free from, from sin, is the basis upon which we imitate. It's the basis upon which we walk in newness of life. It is a faith issue. Now, we might know stuff in our head, and we want that stuff to be part of our lives, not just in our head. And I found that there's an artery that runs from the head to the heart, <laughs> and it's called faith. That's what connects the two. See, when we died in Christ, when we crossed the line of faith, something happened to us. We became a new person who died to sin and is alive to God so that you don't have to obey sin anymore. The power of sin in your life has been broken. Romans 1.17 says, For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now, why did he say it that way? Well, I think he's actually previewing what he's going to say in the rest of the book. I think the first faith here is referring to the fact that when we believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, we are justified by faith. We are declared righteous before God. We're not made righteous before God. That's what this chapter is about. <laughs> We're declared righteous in a legal standing before God. So when he looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees that new creation and he sees Jesus Christ as righteousness. That's covered in Romans chapter 3 and 4. But to faith, he says, we are to, um, it's revealed, his righteousness is real from faith to faith. The second one is I think he's referring to the fact that that I, that we, have died with him. And I am being made righteous every single day. And that is the truth of Romans 6 to 8. So justification is by faith. Sanctification, what this chapter is about, is by faith. Now, it's just not just by faith. We need to also, as we live our lives, cooperate with God. Not passive, but active. So here are the two truths I want you to take into your heart this morning. The first one, I don't think we have too much of a problem with. <laughs> we understand it very well. We all fail. We all violate the heart of God. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we are forgiven. We are saved by grace through faith. Most of us realize that. Maybe some of you don't realize that, but you can be in a right relationship with God by simple trust in Jesus Christ. I say it's simple, not easy. It's a simple way of taking, appropriating your trust into him. 
by trusting what he did, to believe what he did for you is personal for you. And when you do that, you cross the line of unbelief to belief and you receive, at that point, eternal life. And I would encourage you that if you're here today or if you're watching online, that you don't turn the monitor off or the TV or you leave here without doing that, without believing in Jesus Christ. Now, it's like I said, most of us understand that, and we sing about it quite often. But I think often the Christian community forgets the second great truth, which is found in Romans chapter 6. The second great truth in this passage is we are saints. We are saints. I'm a saint. We are saints who don't have to sin. I'm a saint. Just don't tell Karen and my kids. <laughs> we are saints. We are new creations. I'm a saint who still lugs around, right, the weight of the flesh. And I can still operate through it. But which one is true? They're, they're both true. We are sinners who happen to have the Holy Spirit. But I would like to stress with you today, the second point is that we are saints who do not have to sin, although we do. So what is the focus of your life? Is it just sin management? Confessing your sin, that's it. Thanks, Lord. Confessing your sin, that's it. Thanks, Lord. So it's all about managing the fact that you're a failure? Or are you living in light of a newness of life that God imparted to you and he wants you to know that. And he wants you to reckon it to be true of you that you are a saint. And you do not have to be slaved, enslaved by sin. So there's things that we need to know. We need to know that we have died and we were raised with Christ in newness of life. We need to believe it. We need to reckon it. We need to add it up as true for ourselves. But there's a third thing that we need to do in this passage. And it's found in verses 12 to 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make it obey its passion. Sin is here like a, like a king over us. And he says, because you have been set free from it, don't let it reign over you. You don't have to obey its commands. Why? Or how can I do that? He tells us in 13 and 14, do not present your members. There's the word present, the third most important word in this entire passage. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but that, that but there is the strongest con contrastive uh, word in the Greek New Testament. You know, we just have, when we want to contrast something, we just say, but. Well, they have a number of, of words that they can say that means the same thing, but they have stronger uh, emphasis. This is the strongest emphasis. But present yourselves to God as one whom has been brought from death to life and your members as instruments of righteousness. So, He's saying that we have to present ourselves to him. And to present 
not as instruments of unrighteousness, but as instruments of, of righteousness. Members refers to things in our body, uh, our ears, our eyes, our tongue, our hands, our legs, the things that we do. And he's saying that we are to present them to, to God, to be used as instruments of righteousness. Have you ever noticed that your hand can be uh, one that punches somebody or clubs somebody or can also hug someone or shake their hand? You ever notice that your tongue can stick and stab at someone or it can encourage them? Or your eyes. Your eyes can be used to lust after someone or something. Or it can be used to admire the beauty of creation or someone's smile. It's a choice. It's a choice that we have now. Presenting isn't, and this is often misunderstood, presenting isn't an issue of dedication. It's not a prayer. It's what we do every single day. And Lamont says, you are what you do every day. <laughs> and she's right. It isn't a one-time thing. It's a daily action. It is a work. It is a service we do to display the righteousness of God to other people. Now, in verse 14, he concludes what he just said in verses 12 and 13. For, concluding, right? Sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Notice the, the article in the word law is not there. It's not there in the Greek language either. So he's not referring to a specific law. He's not referring to the Mosaic law, for example. He's referring to anything, any legalistic system that we, <laughs> we construct to enable us to measure up our lives against what God's demands are. That's what he's saying. So you're not under law. And it certainly would include the Mosaic law. But anything that you put together, you are not under law because you are under grace. Let's go a little bit deeper. Are you with me? Let's go a little bit deeper with this. I have a statement up here. Consecration without emancipation leads to incarceration. Now let me explain that. If you dedicate yourself to God without knowing Without believing that you have been set free from sin, you will constantly add things for you to do in order to remain consecrated. That, my brothers and sisters, is legalism. It's bondage. It's hypocrisy. And it's a treadmill that you'll read about in chapter 7 that you'll put yourself on and you will constantly fail over and over again. Because why? Because you have failed to appropriate the fact that you are free. That you have been liberated from the bondage of sin. That's the law. We are under grace. So grace is not freedom from the presence of sin. It's freedom not to sin. 
It's an issue of working, in a way. We need to present ourselves every day. We need to put this truth into action. So let me see if I can summarize it all for you. What does the cross mean and the resurrection mean to our spiritual lives? It's that Christ has freed us from the dominion of sin and enables us to walk in newness of life. Can you claim that victory today? I'd encourage you to do so because it's true. See, we should not live in sin to display God's grace because it is by grace that we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection, which means that we are dead to sin and alive to God to live a righteous life. Grace doesn't encourage sin. It makes us dead to sin. We have the forgiveness of God for our sin. But that same grace gives us the power and the possibility to live a righteous life before God. When you trusted Christ, you were made a new person, a new identity. You cannot do what you did before because you are not the same person you were. The bondage of the old self has been crucified. Now, when I heard that truth in 1979, in the basement of Grace Baptist Church in Bolsman, Montana, it was revolutionary. You ever experienced things and suddenly something seems to suddenly crystallize? Everything around you is crystallized. I remember the, the color of the floor, the cement floor, and how glossy it was, and the white walls, and the pastor who was mentoring me, and how I went up to him afterwards to talk about this truth. It was so transforming to me. And I had been struggling so hard. I was sitting in Romans 7, struggling, struggling. And I did not realize the emancipation that took place. But in order for this to work, we have to, we have to cooperate with God by realizing and knowing that we're dead to sin. So I would encourage you to go through your failures and your faults and name yourself dead to them by believing, by considering it true to yourself and positively claim and believe what he says who, who you are and by presenting yourself, by doing and living the righteousness of God through who you are and what you are made up of. So what does the cross and the resurrection mean to us, our spiritual lives? We are dead to sin. We are buried with Christ. We are raised with Christ. We are united with Christ. We live in newness of life of the resurrection, and we are free from sin. And we present ourselves by doing the righteousness of God. You know, I've raised four kids, <laughs> and all of you are probably going to relate to this a little bit. You know, after it rains outside and it's, everything's really wet and it stops raining and the kids want to go out and play. So what do you say to them? Okay, go out and play, but don't play in the mud puddles. Now, when you tell a kid that, guess what he does or she does? 
They go right to the mud puddle and start splashing in it. And by the way, that's what law does, isn't it? You know, don't do this. Oh, there must be something good about that. So I'm going to go out and do that. And that's the motivation of law, isn't it? So what happens? That kids go running out and they go playing in the mud puddles. Now, the truth of this passage is this. That God held the mirror up to us. And he said, you are a new creation. Playing in mud puddles is inconsistent with who I made you to be. And that is the motivation of grace. And that is how we overcome the power of sin in our life. Because we look at ourselves in God's eyes and the picture that he has painted for us, that we are saints who no longer have to sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Um, I'm not sure I did it justice, but Lord, I pray that it would stimulate all of us to look at it again, to look at it regularly. And Lord, I know we all struggle with, with reckoning this thing to be true. But Lord, help us never just to get stuck. And I use that word lightly. That it's stuck at just looking at the fact that we're forgiven. Which is a wonderful and incredible truth that we need to celebrate. And we should celebrate it. But Lord, let's not stop there. Let us to see ourselves through your eyes. That we are saints that we are saints who have been forgiven. Yes, we are saints that still can operate by means of the flesh. But you have shown us, and you have created in us a new person. That we have been identified with Jesus Christ on that cross. That we had died with him. And dying with him, we died to sin in our life. And being raised with him, we have been raised Jesus Christ. Lord, make this truth to be real in our lives. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to, uh, this is a time where we come before the Lord and the Lord's table. And I would encourage you, if you haven't uh, taken some of the elements from the back there, feel free to go back and get that. And I just want to read a little bit about what the table is about. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you are invited to partake in this table with us together. And Paul uh, outlines this in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, where he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, he, he, uh, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I would ask that you would uh, take the bread, if you can peel this thing off. <laughs> it's somewhat difficult sometimes. Let's... Uh, spend some time just examining our lives. Maybe we need to review what we know and we need to reckon it to be true to us and we need to present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness.
Let's spend some time in silence doing that. Let's share this together. Paul goes on to say, in the same way, the cup also, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's spend some time just celebrating his death for us and his coming again for us because he rose from the dead. share this together. Let's continue our worship by singing and praising God for who he is and what he's done. sing together. You're the resurrection that we've waited for. You buried the night and came with the morning. You're the king of heaven. The praise is yours. The longer the quiet Louder the chorus roll. Let's sing that verse again. 
you're the resurrection that we've waited for you buried the night and came with the morning you're the king of heaven the praise is yours the longer the quiet the louder the chorus oh. Oh. we will sing a new song cause death is dead and gone with the winner we will sing a new song hallelujahs flow like a river coming back to life reaching towards the light your love is like springtime you're the living water god we thirst for you the dry and the barren will flower and bloom you're the sun that's shining you restore my soul the deeper you call us oh the deeper we'll go we will sing a new song cause death is dead and gone with the winter we will sing a new song let hallelujahs flow like a river we're coming back to life Reaching towards the light, your love is like springtime, like springtime. Let's make this our prayer. Come tend the soil, come tend the soil, love my soul, and like a garden. And like a garden, I will grow. I will grow. Come tend the soil. Come tend the soil. Come tend the soil. Love my soul. And like a garden. And like a garden, I will grow. I will grow. I will grow. And I will grow. We will sing a new song. towards the light your love is like springtime and we will sing a new song cause death is dead and come with the winter we will sing a new song that hallelujah flow like a river 
coming back to life reaching towards the light your love is like springtime like springtime like sorrows Lamb of God by His own betrayed the sin of men and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid as he stood accused beaten mocked and scorned bowing to the Father's will he took a crown of thorns no my salvation where your love poured out over me and now my soul cries out hallelujah praise and honor unto thee of heaven God's own son to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree and all that rugged cross my salvation where your love poured out over me and now my soul cries out hallelujah praise and honor to thee and now my dad is paid it is paid in full by the precious blood that my jesus spilled now the curse of sin has no hold on me whom the sun sets free oh is free indeed now my debt is 
salvation where your love poured out over me now my soul cries out hallelujah praise and honor unto thee and all that rugged cross my salvation song because it tells the whole story, tells what it means to us, and uh, I loved hearing your voices, which is why I stopped singing for a moment. It's hard to hear all of you uh, when all this is going, Um, and I've had a request to turn the amp down, but instead of doing that, I say we all just sing louder and celebrate today. Today is Easter. Christ is risen. Sorry, Matt. We're going to sing hallelujah. Just kidding. Matt loves hallelujah. Um, So... This song is a rock song, it's a party song, and it's all about Jesus. So let's sing. In tenderness, he sought me. Weary and sick with sin. And on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. While angels in his presence sang until the courts of heaven rang.
upon his grace I'll daily ponder and sing anew his praise with all adoring wonder his blessings I retrace it seems as if eternal days are far too short to sing his praise oh the love that's on me oh the blood that bought me oh the grace that brought me to the shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant that is Jesus our Lord equip you for every good thing to do his will working in you which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.